Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, March 14th, 2017. program will continue with the weirdness that we've been covering here at Fighting for the Faith. seems to be out of control. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible. That's right, open that thing up and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said. And uh, we take the time to open up the Word of God to compare and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, authors, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and and we need to be studying in our small group studies uh, instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's weird how that works. Yeah, have you seen the uh, the Shack Small Group Study Guide yet? Anyway, <laughs> and over and again, what we uh, demonstrate here is that the steady diet of teaching being put forward by the most popular folks out there, the biggest publishing houses, the biggest churches. It's not even close to at all what the scriptures say and teach. In fact, what the scriptures do say and teach, so much better than actually what these people are saying. But they are in the business, and that's probably the right way of putting it. They are in the business of scratching ears and telling people what they want to hear, making up tall tales, teaching for shameful gain, things that they ought not to be teaching. So let's <clears throat> let's talk about what we're going to do here uh, on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Before we get started, though, before we get started, I thought it would behoove me to let you all know that registration for both of our summer conferences, that's now open. Yeah, it's now. And so we have, we're having a conference here uh, at the church that I serve at Kungsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Yep, that's right. We're having a conference here. And uh, we're also having a conference in Sydney, Australia. Now, I should technically make a point that I said we're having two summer conferences. When we have our conference in, in Australia, uh, 
it, it won't be summer there. <laughs> It'll be like the dead of winter. Anyway, um, so uh, the uh, dates for our Australia conference are uh, Friday, June 30th and Saturday, July 1st, 2017. We are holding that conference at St. Matthew's Anglican Church in Manly, uh, New South Wales, which is uh, near Sydney, Australia. So uh, for that particular conference, we are not charging admission. We are not charging admission. Um, However, we will be charging for the audio and potentially video that we hope to take uh, from the conference in order to uh, offset our expenses. But uh, the, uh, the details of what the different conference lectures are going to be about is still forthcoming. Uh, I will be uh, speaking with, uh, you know, the, the, the other person sharing the load with me is the uh, Pastor Joel Klein, who serves uh, Wangaratta Lutheran Church in, uh, in, uh, in Australia. And uh, we also have some people that will be speaking, talking about different uh, movements there. We, we have somebody who's going to be uh, uh, providing a, a, a biographical look at their time in uh, the charismatic movement. I think we have the, um, the uh, Outback Berean uh, guys uh, are going to be uh, coming and, uh, and speaking. So you know, more details are forthcoming is the best way I can put it. So uh, again, uh, Friday, June 30th, Saturday, July 1st, the way you, the way you register when you go to fightingforthefaith.com, the navigation along the top, you'll see it says conferences. Choose the Australia conference. You must register because we do need an accurate count of uh, the people who will be attending uh, so that we can plan refreshments and coffee and things like that. And the name of the conference, by the way, is Abandoned. And the main uh, the main theme of the conference is going to be Has Evangelicalism Abandoned the Reformation? Yeah, here we are. We're coming up on the uh, 500th anniversary of the, uh, of the Reformation. And I think a lot of folks are kind of thinking that, well, maybe the, the 500th anniversary is an expiration date for it. So that's what we're going to be doing. And so name and email address will be required for uh, registration, and you can uh, you know register there at the website. The second conference we're having is here in the United States, also at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota, Friday, August 11th, and Saturday, August 12th. And uh, the name of that conference is Contend, and uh, we're going to be talking about you know how you um, can contend for the faith once delivered for the saint uh, to the saints. So the idea here is is that uh, many of the people who will be in attendance are you know they're lay people you know but you know what what can you do as a lay person? to contend for the faith and uh, and address many of the errors. So for this conference, I have Stephen Kozar, Amy Spreeman, and Matthew Garnett. Matthew Garnett uh, has a program on Pirate Christian Radio called In Layman's Terms, and he is uh, he is just a smart fella. And, uh, and this is one of those conferences that uh, don't let the fact that we don't have any superstars speaking at it, although I think Amy Spreeman technically is a superstar in the women's apologetics world but uh, aside from her, aside from her there's there are other superstars but uh, don't let that uh, you know uh, dissuade you from coming the topics are going to be quite timely and important 
And, uh, of course, we have – and it, just like last year, registration is limited to the first 150 people who register. Child care is provided. Details about all of that are on the conference page. Uh, you know, how, you know, where to stay. We have uh, hotel accommodations. Uh, we have a discount arranged with the uh, Fairfield Inn and Suites in East Grand Forks and details on how to get to Grand Forks, which is the town you want to uh, stay at when you uh, come into town. And then, you know, all that, all that stuff is on the website. But uh, registration for that is not free. It's $114.95 for uh, adults and youth over uh, 13 and over. Children who want to attend, it's $24.95 per child to attend. And so you want to register soon. That's the best way I can put it. Putting out the information, it's limited to the first 150 people. And once it hits that limit, we cannot have any more. Uh, registrants. So we will be uh, <clears throat> offering uh, the uh, the audio and potentially video. I keep saying that, but uh, we'll t- kind of have to wait and see how this works with the Australia conference. The audio potentially video will also be available post-conference. Uh, for those who attend the uh, the conference in uh, here in, uh, in the great frozen north, uh, you know, if you know the the audio and video potentially is uh, is included in your registration fee, so uh, fee, but uh, you, know, you you get the idea. So the way again, the w- way you register, go to fightingforthefaith.com. The conferences link is up at the top of the page. Select the conference that you would like to attend, and uh, you know one of the things we purposely do here is we try to keep our conferences small. We, and the reason why, um, number one, we're, we're not trying to make you know a ton of money. We need to recoup our costs. That's it's, this is not about profit for us. What this really is about is good lectures, but also the ability to talk to people, meet other listeners. What we're finding in our conferences is that uh, a lot of <laughs> a lot of people are coming back for uh, for our conferences. And it, it's it's something of a family now. Uh, so if you're looking for a support group of people that uh, you know have the similar experiences that you have, or you need to pin me down and be able to look at me and ask me questions, uh, you know that's the idea. We the, we want you to have access to myself and the different broadcasters and the people who are part of Pirate Christian Radio, so that you can get to know us, ask us tough questions, continue. To, uh, give us information on how we can be of help to you, things like that. So conferences, uh, you, 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 like I said, you want to register quick uh, for these because uh, space is limited. That's the best way I can put it. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We are going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate uh, update. Uh, we're going to check in with Katie Sousa. And uh, she has a new video on her YouTube channel. She's had a direct revelation from God. Apparently, Leviathan is out and just wreaking all kind of kinds of havoc out there in the body of Christ. So we'll let um, Katie Sousa explain <laughs> to us just what is going on in, in regards to the Leviathan 
spirit. Then we're going to head over to uh, – we'll do an emergent update. We're going to head over to Mayfield, uh, Mayfield Salisbury Parish out there in Scotland and uh, listen to – I <laughs> I don't even know what – how do I explain this? You know, I, I check in with them from time to time to see what they're up to. Uh, you know, they've got a very – Weird liberal, uh, <clears throat> you know, pastor. They he there's they have more than one pastor there, and uh, the fellow preaching. He literally is going to um, preach on Abraham and his inner journey, but he begins his sermon conveying information regarding Abraham, not from the Bible, um, the uh, source that he will be turning to to help us understand Abraham. Well, I'll let you listen. That's the best way I can put it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, so thinking, well, why don't you just tell us? It's so bizarre. It's probably best if I just let you experience. I'll have to play a warning is the best way I can put it before we get to that segment. And uh, then we're going to head over to the, uh, the, the studios of uh, Jim Baker and the Jim Baker Show and I'm wondering if there has been a shakeup, if there has been a major shakeup at the uh, Jim Baker show, uh, because on their YouTube channel, uh, there's a program that we've been covering uh, for a while, and the name of the program is Revelation in the News, and um, Jim Baker has taken over this episode of Revelation in the News does not have Zach Drew or Sasha Vols. <laughs> no, not at all. And it it makes me wonder if uh, Jim Baker has decided to to step in as a as a means of trying to <clears throat> you know lend his credibility to this completely non credible program, which always seems to be covering stuff that has nothing whatsoever to do with the book of Revelation. It's just kind of fascinating. So, I mean, I'm thinking that now that the man at the top himself has come in and taken over and is now anchoring Revelation in the news, that we're going to find all kinds of connections between the book of Revelation and the stuff that they're going to be covering there. And uh, and then you know, somewhere in there we're going to take a break because, you know, we, we, we need to do that. Um, and then we're going to head over to Lakewood, and uh, we're going to check in with uh, John Gray and uh, listen to his message titled Enough is Enough, at least a portion of it. And uh, then in hour number two, we're going to hear a sermon from Mark Batterson. Yeah, I, it, I can't remember how long it's been since I've reviewed a full Mark Batterson sermon, so that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We, we we got like a ton of ground that we need to cover. So let's get to it. Here we go. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the chairman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. 
there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing really bear a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bear a ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bear a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. And, uh, the queen of the coconuts herself, Katie Sousa, is, uh, well, she's, she's on it, man. She's got a direct download from God, and it has everything to do with the Leviathan spirit that's out there wreaking havoc in the body of Christ. I mean, now, not only do we have to worry about sneaky squid spirits, Leviathan, man. I mean, it's, you know, man, I'll let Katie Sousa explain. Hi, everybody. It's Katie Sousa live on Facebook Mentions. And I am on right now for a very specific reason, okay? okay. I had a dream last night about... All- I had a dream last night. Okay, so you had a dream. Okay. You guys. And God told me specifically that I needed to do a Facebook Mentions today. Okay, I had a dream that I was at a beach, and a friend of mine, Andrea Cannon is her name. She was at the beach with me, and she was going to go down and stick her feet in the water and play around. And that's when I said, no, I don't think you should go down near the water because there's crocodiles in the water. Uh, (laughs) Um, Where, which beach are you at again? Um, Is there, I'm trying to think, what part of the United States has crocodiles i mean we have alligators in the south but i mean are, are they salt water are they are alligators salt water? i i don't know i don't i can't say i know much about um alligators to know whether or not you know like if i decided to go down to like daytona beach or something like that you know on holiday you know find some warmer weather during the winter time and and i went uh, uh, you know maybe took my wife with me and we were walking along the beach there in Florida and enjoying it. And I just don't know if I would be risking my life, you know, potentially having crocodiles or alligators come and snatch me and drag me under and take me to my doom, you know, and I'm just not sure. I don't want you to get hurt. It kind of reminded me of what the, the extreme tragedy that happened in Disneyland not too long ago when that little boy was snatched by a crocodile. I I do think that was an alligator. That same feeling in the dream. And I was like, no, I, I don't think you should go down there. It's dangerous. And she goes, no, no, I can handle it. I got no problem. I'm going. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I went up higher on the cliff to look down and I saw that the water was teeming. It was teeming with uh, crocodiles, alligators, and sharks. and <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Crocodiles, alligators, sharks. Oh, my. I was down at the water not paying attention, and I said, you need to get away from the edge of the water. I mean it. And I was yelling to her, and all of a sudden, all the crocodiles and alligators came up and started rushing her. And instead of running away from them, she dove straight into the water in the midst of this pack of alligators. And they started chasing her, and she finally got out of the water and ran away, and I'm running towards her. are completely attacking her, attaching themselves to the back of her neck and everything else. It was crazy, and I'm pulling them off. And then I stood in front of her and I blocked as the packs of them came up on the beach. And I made my... So uh, now Katie Sousa is a crocodile and alligator, you know, hunter of sorts, yeah. 
bay towards the shore and towards a, a higher rock and with her behind and I was fending off these animals, these crocodiles that were attacking her. And I finally got her to, to a safe place. And when I woke up from the dream, I was like, God, what is that? What does that mean? And he said, yeah, they, we call that undigested pizza. You might want to change your diet. Yeah. That's my body of Christ. They're acting just like your friend, Andrea Cannon. And I was like, okay, uh, what does that mean? So I looked up the name. Andrea means manly. And Cannon is like a war machine. And the Lord says, my body is acting like a manly, fierce war machine. Hey, we can take on any demon. We can uh, go for it. Nothing can hurt us. Just how kind of like my friend Andrea was going down to the water where all the crocodiles were. She was like, oh, no, no problem. I've got this. I, I can handle it. I can kick anything's but I'm not afraid. But the Lord was telling me that when it comes to crocodiles, which the Bible calls Leviathan a crocodile, that we have certain, we have to have certain strategies. We can't just go, oh, I'm not afraid of him, you know, and I'm going to go make war with him right now, because that's actually unbiblical. And right, yeah. So whatever you do, man, you need strategies for crocodiles, man, because you know the Leviathan crocodile thingy, and so it's unbiblical for you to just say, yeah, I could take on that Leviathan crocodile thingy. I don't need no strategy because you know. No crocodile formed against me will prosper, you know, or something like Yeah, totally unbiblical. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lord told me through this dream that the body of Christ is battling Leviathan right now, that alligator, that crocodile, that twisting, fleeing serpent, and they're getting their butt kicked. He's attacking them because they... Right, the, I mean, the, the body of Christ is suffering major catastrophic military losses to this Leviathan crocodile serpent spirit thingy, right? ...are trying to act like manly warriors and go for it. And they're not equipped. And the Lord specifically told me to do this web stream because you're being assaulted by this demonic spirit and you're not equipped and you don't understand how to properly make war with him. Okay, so I'm going to tell you that today and then I'm going to pray for you. Okay, first of all, what does Leviathan do to you? Oh, he, he can cause cancer. He can cause all kinds of physical issues and diseases. Oh, man. So those of you out there, suffering from cancer, you've unwittingly fallen victim to Leviathan. And if only you had biblically had strategies in place to properly address Leviathan and, and overcome him, you wouldn't have cancer today. Okay, there's a chapter in Job 3 where Job's cursing the day he was born, wishing he had never been born, okay? And you know what happens? In that chapter, he says this. He says, loose Leviathan on the day I was born. Meaning Leviathan can cause uterine cancer, can cause... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> so because... <laughs> Job said, curse the day I was born, loose Leviathan on the day I was born. That's a weird way of saying it. That means that that Leviathan can cause uterine cancer. I don't think I need to worry about that. Ovarian cancer can cause all kinds of problems with people, okay, in the womb and in the uterus can cause cancer so that the day you, you could be conceived or born would be cursed. That the day a child could be conceived or born would be cursed. Okay, he's... This woman is utterly clueless. Utterly clueless as to what the Bible teaches. Why does she have a television program? Why? 
cancer on all kinds of parts of the body. He's calling, causing disease. And he's breaking up churches. He's causing divorce. And he's causing separations between people. See, Levi- yeah, I'm beginning to think that maybe, just maybe, I mean, have you considered this? That Katie Sousa's actually, uh, uh, well, a double agent. And, and here's what I mean. I mean, she claims that she, you know she's doing work for Jesus and God and stuff like that. But, I mean, what if she's really a double agent and she's really doing the bidding of the Leviathan spirit? I, I think that's pretty legit, don't you? In Isaiah 27, it's called the twisting, fleeing serpent. What does that mean? Fleeing doesn't mean he runs away. No. The word fleeing means to dart back and forth. See, this spirit darts back and forth between people and twists what they're saying. He's the twisting, fleeing serpent. And yeah, I think she learned this from Patricia King. Causes division. Right now, you may be having a problem yeah. with somebody in your church or somebody in your family or your spouse. And no matter what you say to them, it's like everything you say gets twisted. And everything they say to you gets twisted. Well, everything she's saying is actually twisted. I don't have to... I can't untwist the twisting that she's been twisting. You know, this, everything she's saying is twisting, which, again, you know, I'm thinking. I, I think she's doing the bidding of Leviathan here. You're like at the end of your rope, you, you know, that you're going to break off this relationship. You're going to leave that church. You're going to depart that business. You're going to quit that job. You're going to get, you know, split from your marriage because Leviathan is at work. He's a twisting, fleeing serpent. And he's. Yeah, twisting, fleeing serpent. Yeah, crocodile, alligator. And a shark, too, yeah. Twisting words, and he's darting between people back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Causing communication problems. So he causes disease, and he breaks up. I think we need some Leviathan spray. I, You know, I, that's what I'm thinking. I, I, I need to get to our Pirate Christian Radio Research and Development Department and uh, see if I can get them to work on coming up with a, a Leviathan spirit repelling spray or something like that. You know, just, you know, maybe we can have it smell good, you know, so it could be like Leviathan spirit repellent, you know, working with maybe like a deodorant or, you know, some kind of antiperspirant that has a, a pleasant smell to it. So every morning when you, when you, you know, get ready and you brush your teeth and you put your antiperspirant on, you're also not only antiperspirizing yourself, I don't know if that's the right verb, but also you know, protecting yourself from the twisting, fleeing, serpent, crocodile, alligator, shark thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's time. I mean, it's, it's time for this product. It's long overdue. I'll have our people get to work on it immediately. That's the best way I can think about this. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My mail address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're heading to uh, Scotland. We're also heading to the Jim Baker show. We got to get to Lake Bay. We got we got a lot of places to go. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> 
Deep in the Alpha Australian wilderness, and also the typhoid-infested waters of the Bongo River, Captain Worthington and his ragtag group of men have found themselves to be hopelessly lost. Surrounded by the vicious savages of the Hibuku tribe, and now the TP has run out. It's been 27 days without food, and Private Jenkins doesn't care. Oh, do shut up, Nigel! We don't need you narrating every little thing that goes on. It's bad enough already. We don't need you reminding everyone about it. Sorry. Now, gentlemen, the hour is dying. There's not much hope of us getting out of this predicament with our lives or sanity. What are we going to do, Captain? Well, we can do one of two things. We can either die in a blaze of glory, charging the Hibuku tribe in battle, or sit on the riverbank saying to ourselves, Oh, mommy, mommy, please make the bad people go away. I vote for the second one. Shut the noise, you pansy! Now, Captain, I have an idea that might just save our hides from the impending doom on the other side of the tree line. Well, out with it, man. Out with it. I happen to have... In my possession, a copy of Zondervan's latest book, The Grimoire of Modern Prayer. Well, that's excellent news. We have TP again. Huzzah! Huzzah! Woo-hoo. No, no, no. We're not using it for that. Then what exactly are we using it for? Uh, it says this. With this volume, you can command and control the very will of God with relative ease. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Are you sure we can do that? Well, the, the book says we can. Is there any proof? Well, Stephen Furtick did write the introduction where he explains how it's changed his life. Well, um, how does it work? Simple. We can choose from any one of these prayers. Captain Worthington, a book approaching! Blasted! Perkins, get your act together and start reading from the book. It's our only chance. I don't know which one to read first. Which ones do you have to choose from? Well, there's the Scenting Prayer, the Circle Maker Prayer, the Prayer of Jabez. The Circle One. Let's go with that one. Okay, the book says to draw a circle around what you're praying for. Well, that's us. Quick, men, draw a circle in the dirt around us. Step two, begin to pray for whatever it is that you're in need of. I really want Ferrari. A Ferrari. You nitwit, we need protection. Now pray, audaciously. Oh, Lord, we are not going to leave this circle until you rescue us from our enemies. Amen. Are you sure? Pretty sure. <laughs> Unless he can breathe without his head being attached to his neck. Oh, dear. Well, there goes our narrator. What are we going to do, sir? Well, the circle prayer didn't work, so let's try something else. Packins! Working on it, sir. I, I think I got it. <laughs> I, I don't believe it, sir. The Hibuku the, tribe the didn't have catapults. Jumping Jehoshaphat. This next prayer had better work, Perkins. This one will work. It's the uh, Sun Sand Snow prayer. What good will that do? It's in the middle of the night. Doesn't matter what you think. This is sure to work. We just have to have audacious enough faith to ask God for the impossible. You heard the man. Get praying. I still want a Ferrari, a pet raptor, no debts. Ooh, and better sex. You're just not getting this, are you? Captain, they, 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 now, have, have, Well, this is impossible!
Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that a bunch of people who are on television and teaching and stuff like that are complete wackerdoodles. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, the more crew members we have, the more solid of a financial base we have that we can budget properly, plan our next exploits, things like that. And, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along. We're going to throw this under the big umbrella of the emergent church movement. Here we go. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by... Doug Paget. This is their avant-garde rendition of uh, Strauss's Also Sprach Zarathustra. And the thing that makes the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra unique is that they don't know any of the modernist definitions of notes. They are doing this while being led purely by Sarayu. Yeah, that's William Paul Young's name for the Holy Spirit. Let's listen in as they as they really build this piece up to an amazing, amazing, like, ear-watering 
crescendo. Amazing. That's all I have to say. So um, <laughs> let, let me let me just warn you. Uh, we're going to be listening to uh, Scott McKenna uh, there in Edinburgh, Scotland, um, at the uh, Salisbury Parish, and uh, he's going to be preaching. You know, from this well, one of the texts I actually preached on this past Sunday, and you know, it's from Genesis twelve. Um, but the weird thing is, he starts this sermon off with information about Abraham you can't find anywhere in the Bible. And uh, and he just seems to seamlessly blend it in with the other stuff that's in the Scripture. And uh, let me just say you might want to be seated. Let's play one of our warnings so that you can't say I didn't warn you. Here we go. Warning. The Fighting for the Faith radio broadcast contains spiritually volatile content. This material is not suitable or recommended for those with itching ears or those dependent upon subjective emotional experiences. Fighting for the Faith is not responsible for feelings of disillusionment or disappointment with your man-centered, seeker-sensitive church. We are unable to compensate listeners for time wasted listening to their pastor's narcissistical sermons or serving in their church's redundant, ineffective ministries. Listen at your own risk. If after listening to Fighting for the Faith, you experience a genuine gospel awakening lasting more than five hours, seek the help of a qualified, faithful Bible teaching pastor. Always take Fighting for the Faith with an open, English-sanctified version Bible. Results will vary. Use as needed. Some discernment required. All right, you've been warned. Okay, so here's the Reverend Scott McKenna <clears throat> preaching about Abraham. Let's see what he has to say. Let us pray. Holy God, Sacred Spirit, saturate us with your presence. Fill us to overflowing with the drops of your compassion and lead us on pilgrimage ever more deeply into union with you. Wow. Um, yeah, um, that <clears throat> prayer is... Um... Hmm. dripping and oozing with all kinds of weird mysticism. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the Quran, Abraham is described as a friend of Allah. Uh, yeah, I uh, think... Uh, somebody needs to let Mr. McKenna, I'm sorry, Reverend McKenna, know that uh, he, he, um, his job, according to the scripture, is to preach the word. Yeah, the written word of God. Um, the Quran is not helpful um, in any way, shape, or form when it comes to understanding any of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, or Jesus himself, or any of the apostles. Because even regarding Jesus, I mean, the Quran explicitly states that Allah doesn't have a son. And 
Yeah, so we got some problems here. A friend of Elohim, of God. In the Quran, we read. In the Quran, you're reading from the Quran. Who can be better in religion than one who submits his whole self to Allah, does good, and follows the way of Abraham? Did you even notice that the Quran holds Abraham up as a model Muslim? Hello? In the true faith. For Allah did take Abraham for a friend. In the Islamic tradition, Mecca is often referred to as the city of Abraham. In the Islamic tradition. Now you're going to note something here. He is talking about Islam as if it's a legitimate faith tradition. And as if its book has something spiritually significant to offer us in our being disciples of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't. The Quran is as historically accurate as the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon is total mythology and fairy tale. So for for McKenna here to talk about Abraham through the quote-unquote faith tradition of Islam, Islam actually is not a faith. Not in, the, not in the truest sense of the word, but we continue. Situated in modern-day Saudi Arabia, over 15 million Muslims journey to Mecca each year. According to Islamic tradition, it was at Mecca that Abraham stripped away the idols and false gods of polytheism and affirmed belief in one God. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, again, this is, there's nothing that the Quran has to offer us in understanding Abraham. This is all mythology. It's like a bad fan fiction about Abraham. There are a number of stories about Abraham, Ibrahim, in the Quran. There is the miracle of the four birds. Ibrahim asks of God, My Lord, show me how you give life to the dead. Yep, my question is, can you show me how reading the Quran and its understanding of Abraham will help me rightly understand Genesis 12, which is the reading from the lectionary for Sunday. God said, do you not believe? He said, I do, but this is so my heart may be calm. God said, then take four birds and cut them into pieces. Then place a part of them on each mountain. Then call them. They shall come to you in a rush. And seeing that, know that indeed Allah is overpowering all wise. Commentators say that when Abraham called the birds, Allah caused their parts to be rejoined and refilled with pulse and life. Then they flew to Abraham with a speed that showed no sign of trauma, no sign that they had just been dismembered and scattered. 
The point of the miracle, of the faith narrative, is to show that God gives life to the dead. The, the faith narrative. The Quran is a corrupt book with a false god, a false theology. It, like I said, it's as accurate as the Book of Mormon. You don't go to the Quran to teach Christians a right understanding of Christian doctrine. In Judaism. And now we're turning to Judaism. And there's a reason why he's doing this. Abraham is Abenu, our father. Known as the Abrahamic faiths. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> There's the problem right there. Known as the quote-unquote Abrahamic faiths. Islam is literally a religion revealed by a demon claiming to be Gabriel, the angel. It is a false religion, a demonic religion. Allah is a tyrant of a demon god, the best way I could put it. And those who come under the, uh, the, the submission of Islam, they're lost eternally. Modern-day Judaism is not the Judaism of King David or of Isaiah or Malachi or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, or even Moses. Like, not even close. It's something completely different. In fact, modern-day Judaism, in its denial of Christ being the Messiah, you know, it's, a, it's the false religion of the Pharisees just brought forward into the 21st century. It was the Pharisees who were the last people standing. So when somebody talks about the Abrahamic faiths, they don't know what they're talking about because modern-day Jews do not have the faith of Abraham at all. Something completely different. Our father Abraham, who binds together Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Yeah, there you go. So th that's his problem. So he believes that Abraham is the one who binds together Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Therefore, I can preach from the Quran during my homily on the second Sunday of Lent. Um, and... <laughs> And it's interchangeable with the story from Genesis 12. And we could really have our spirituality enhanced and, you know, and have a much deeper, profounder faith if we just embrace the stories of Abraham found in the Quran. Utter nonsense. This is idolatry and blasphemy. The words of the Quran should never be quoted in a church, in a Christian church where the saints of Christ, those blood-bought saints who were purchased by the Son of God himself and his blood on the cross, they should never hear the Quran put side by side with the sacred scriptures as if somehow it has something legitimate to say to us. It doesn't. Ugh, utter blasphemy. I mean, I mean, breaking of the first commandment and the second, all in one fell swoop. Moving along. Yeah, time for a Jim Baker show update. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. 
telling us the end is coming soon, very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom, very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. Doom and gloom, very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. Bum, 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 bum. All right, that's William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times. He provides us with the uh, update music for end times popular eschatological type segments that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. And we're heading over to the studio of the Jim Baker show, where apparently there's been something of a shakeup. Yeah, that's right. The uh, the program that airs on their YouTube channel that we've been covering for a while, Revelation in the News, which we've noted over and over and over again has... Nothing whatsoever to do with what the actual book of Revelation says. Well, Sasha Voles and Zach Drew, they've disappeared. And Jim Baker himself has taken over Revelation in the news. I mean, this is a significant move. I mean, clearly, he he felt that it was necessary to bring his, you know, his stature, his... Um, good reputation, um, his um, uh, uh, the weight of his biblical prowess to the revelation in the news program, so that he can rescue it from you know its arch critic. That would be me. And uh, so we're going to see now that the you know the head honcho there at PTL has stepped in and gotten rid of Zach Drew and Sasha Vols and is now taken over and hijacked the revelation in the news show if he's going to be able to explain how all of this ties into the book of revelation i i i have high high hopes here here's jim baker welcome to revelation in the news today i'm jim baker president of the ptl television network cora is here with me she is a newspaper editor mondo is actually the executive of the PTL Television Network, and John Woodall is a broadcaster. Uh, Did he say Mondo? Mondo. Agreed broadcaster. That's right. But he's <laughs> turning to journalism. He loves the news. So great to have you with Thank us, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having and me. And we got an amazing show today. You. you know, the Bible says, in the last days, perilous times will come. And we're there. I think America... Mm. Yeah, see, I think, see, I think that's his his attempt to rescue the hapless Zach Drew and Sasha Vols, uh, and their complete lack of ability to actually tie any of this into the Book of Revelation. He said the Bible says that in the last days treacherous times will come, and we're in the. See, there we go. It now connects to the Book of Revelation. Uh, no, uh, Jim, that's not how that works. Um, he was referencing, by the way, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. But let's read that out so you can see that this actually still has nothing to do with the book of Revelation, at least as we know it. Here's what it says. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, 
lovers of money. That would be like Jim Baker. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. In fact, Second Timothy chapter 3 is describing the state of the visible church in the days leading up to the return of Christ. And these are people who are absolutely carnal and profane, lovers of self and just lovers of money and pleasure and all this kind of, having a form of godliness. Yeah, maybe they go to church or whatever, but they deny its power. And the Scripture says to avoid such people. In other words, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us nothing about, if you would, um, Donald Trump's immigration policy or things of that nature. And they're not mentioned in the Bible nor in the book of Revelation. So I think that was Jim Baker's attempt to try to kind of expand this out just a little bit because in the last days, it'll be difficult time, and we're in those times of difficulty. Yeah, I would agree that uh, you know what he's doing and what he teaches and how you know he conducts himself and his in his greed, you know, and all the kind of stuff that he does probably fits under a, a, Jim Baker is an actual fulfillment of the prophecy there in Second uh, Timothy chapter three. But this has nothing to do with what we're going to hear him talk about. As far as modern, you know, current news stories and apparently how they relate to the book of Revelation. Again, remember the name of the program is Revelation in the News. What are you guys saying? I think America has a war against itself. That's yes, right. You know, we've been prophesying this for a long time that civil war was coming to America. There's, you know, rioting in the streets. There's craziness. And look at the cover of Time magazine just off the press. Trump's war on Washington. What's the th what's the theme of this magazine? Destroying article, democracy. They're calling that, basically saying that he is uh, Trump is destroying democracy right, in this country, and yet we, you know, the, the the Republicans elected him, and they felt that they weren't being heard for a long time. That's and uh, what does this have to do with the Book of Revelation? Now, democracy has come to the left. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, yeah, uh, what does this have to do with the book of Revelation? Or the right wing and to the Republicans. And yet they're saying this is not that this man, Trump, is destroying democracy. Why do you think they're saying that? Well, you know, even Bill Clinton has just recently gone on to say that nationalism is destroying the United States. And to me, when I think of nationalism, I think of pride. I, th I feel that the pride of America is under attack, and they're trying to weaken um, the Americans' uh, mindset to not take pride, to not um, have a desire to see the, the progress of America mm -hmm. move forward. The Time Magazine article is called Inside Donald Trump's War Against the State. Wow. So, yeah, wow is right, because... I, I wasn't familiar with the passages in the book of Revelation that talk about Donald Trump's war against the state. I mean, I, which, which chapter in Revelation, again, are we reading from? 
it's it's an amazing thing. To one side, freedom has come. There's there's we have new freedom. We're going back. Even we even have hope that maybe we could pray again in America, or we could read the Bible in America. Or um, I live in America and I pray every day, and I read God's word every. In fact, I even preach from the Bible in America. Every, you know every Sunday and for, you know. Quite a long time, several hours every Sunday. You know, I have a sermon, and we got adult, you know, Bible study. Um, and no, no, no one has sent any armed military to stop me from praying or reading my Bible here in America. Um, in fact, I'm broadcasting from America, and in this program, you know, I just read out part of the Bible. And I prayed before we started recording, and and there, the police have not shown up to arrest me. You know, <laughs> what is he talking about? We would stop murdering a million babies a year. Yes, but yet Time Magazine is telling us that this is a open war against democracy. You know, That's the right. Bible says that a house divided will not stand. That's right. And there's so much div- That's Mondo speaking. Vision going on in America today that the warning signs are right before our eyes and I can't wait to see what the Bible says about the times that we're living in right now. You know, uh, yeah, you, please show me what the Bible says about Trump's war against the state. One of the things in the book of, of Timothy, Second Timothy, it says that the last days, and there's a whole list of things that will happen. Yeah, and- I just read it out, and that's actually a description of what it'd be like in the church in the last days, having a form of godliness but denying its power. You know that whole list. Yeah, last days, and one of them that uh, they'll be despisers of those that are good. Uh huh. Yeah, again, this is a description of what's going wrong in the church today. And how, you go, how do you know? Well, number one, it says having a form of godliness but denying its power. But the other thing is is that when you look at the list itself, that's literally a list that describes pagans dead in trespasses and sins. And this is what pagans have been doing and have been like, you know, since, you know, pagans have been around. And, you know, so going all the way back to, you know, the descendants of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Um, so the idea then here is that Second Timothy is describing the state of the church in its apostasy. And a cross-reference to it will be like Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, so, yeah, he's not giving us a meaningful look at what the scriptures say. But I, I got to give it to him, though. You know, at least he's making an effort because Zach Drew and Sasha... It's like they didn't even try yeah, at all. Women are marching in the streets by the millions yeah. to kill their babies. So what do we have? We have the most unbelievable day. It's the day before the coming of the Lord when the Bible says good will be spoken of as evil. But uh-huh. yeah, which again is happening in the church itself. So, yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> Give him credit. He's trying to somehow connect this all back to the Bible so that he can make it look like Revelation in the news is talking in some way, shape, or form about Revelation in the news. (laughs) 
he's not. And the weird part is that in a very kind of sick, twisted irony, he's actually the, the fulfillment of what Second Timothy 3 is actually warning the church about. I mean, that's the weirder part of it. All right, we're going to move along, and uh, since we're going to be doing a John Gray update, and he's the associate pastor there at uh, at Lakewood, we'll we'll play this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea, what makes me happy? Fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle and beauty to my face. My shiny teeth that glisten just like the Christmas tree. You know they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. All right, so we're heading over to Lakewood, and we're going to be listening to John Gray and his message titled, Enough is Enough. And we'll see if he's been taking lessons from the master Narsajit himself, uh, Joel Osteen, the bi- twister of scripture, uh, guy who teaches the prosperity heresy and, and the all-important false doctrine of decreeing and declaring how amazing and wonderful I am. Yeah, here's John Gray. Just to put the leadership on alert, I may need you before this sermon is over. Mama Doty, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Phil, John, the rest, Pastor Johnny, I'm going to need you. I'm going to probably need y'all because the Holy Ghost is getting ready to do something in here. Oh, yeah. So the Holy Ghost is telegraphed to John Gray that he's about to do some, something there, there at Lakewood. And, and, and you got to get... Uh, Lisa Gomez and you know the other folks on staff there at at uh, in the pastoral leadership team uh, uh, ready because the Holy Spirit's telegraph something amazing is going to happen there. There comes a time when everything has to change. There comes a moment in your life. When you can't talk in code anymore, you can't. Listen, talking in code is really complicated. And I lost my decoder ring. So I've just resolved that I'm going to speak English. And try to dumb it down for people. You, you can't keep skirting the issue that God has a calling on your life and that you didn't ask for it, but God has called you to greatness and you you can't hide anymore it's just it just happens there's a moment in your life <laughs> wow yeah that's quite the build up it's it's best if you just not be in denial yeah it's time for you to face facts god has called you to greatness stop trying to live in obscurity yeah you are supposed to experience greatness and god's called you to it so it's time for you to bravely put on the mantle of greatness that God has called you to. Yeah. Stop trying to hide in the middle class. It's time for you to rise 
and be great. Where everything has been building up to God revealing who you are. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. Romans. You are aware that that passage is an eschatological passage referring to the revealing of the sons of God when Jesus returns in glory to judge the living and the dead and basically bring this current creation to a grinding halt, kill it, and then resurrect it, new heavens, new earth, right? Uh, the revealing of the sons of God would be those who are in Christ, the penitent believers in Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life promised to them by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ our Lord, right? You are familiar that that's really what that's talking about, right? 8, 18, and 19, and... I saw Pastor Lisa shift in the Holy Ghost and she stopped and she began to prophesy because whether you know it or not. You saw Joel Osteen's sister Lisa shifting in the Holy Ghost. What does that look like exactly? Is that like a glitch in the matrix, you know, um, when you shift in the Holy Ghost? No, nah, she's not just a preacher and a teacher. She is a prophet. And so she has... No, she's a false prophet and a false teacher and a Bible twist. ...has the ability to prophesy or to tell or foretell what God is doing or what he's trying to say to his people. So I don't want you to think that her words were casual. This was not another offering. It was not another moment. It was a part of what this day is supposed to be. March 8th of 2017 eight the number of new beginnings one and seven another eight new beginnings you stepped into new beginnings and then right because it was march 8th when he preached this i mean march 8th that's the day of new beginnings man see yeah it it, it the math it just doesn't lie yeah okay yeah it's new beginnings and you it's time for you to step into your greatness you even know what you're sitting in a new beginning but some of y'all are about to stand up in a new beginning your health has to turn your family life has they're giving him a standing ovation and he is saying nothing that actually means anything wow. to turn your finances have to turn your dreams have to turn my finances and my dreams have to turn because it was march 8th when you preached this i had no idea i, I that's that's just wow your children have to turn the situations have to turn and something has to break and it has to happen uh and it has to happen now mm -hmm. Yeah, this is him basically filling these people's ears with nonsense, whipping them into a frenzy, making promises for God that he never made. Uh, you know, and there's he's scratching their ears and they're rewarding him with applause. You know? I need somebody to get a now praise. Don't don't look at me. Don't this is not this is not spectator. This is engagement. This is, excuse me, while I worship. I've been crying at night and you didn't know it. And I was in emergency room last week for 10 hours and they couldn't figure out, was it my heart or was it my brain? Was it my liver? And then the test came back and they can't find nothing because what it is is the enemy's last chance to get me before everything turns. I need somebody to know that tonight is the night when everything uh, so tonight's the night when everything turns okay i know that we're in closed quarters and it might not be easy to do but i encourage you right now to just right where you are just see if you can just 
he is literally having everybody do the hokey pokey and turn themselves around. That's what they're doing right there at Lakewood. Did you feel it? Did you feel it, brother? I lo- Did I feel what? Love you so much. This is the season where the people that have been standing with you are going to get blessed because they've been walking with you. Tell somebody it's turning for my friends. It's turning for my family. It's breaking in my favor. Not tomorrow. Not Saturday. Not Sunday. Right. Somebody give him a praise in this place. Uh, What? is going on here have these people literally drunk the kool-aid i mean turned their brains off or you know you know powered them down so that they can't spot an obvious fraud who's manipulating them all in the name of jesus nothing that god's word doesn't promise any of this stuff but don't worry prophet lisa has spoken to you Um, God's word actually forbids what he was just doing there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is a, an assembly that claims to be a church service. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14 actually explicitly says um, you know, that if you are to speak in tongues uh, if you and there's no one to interpret... Uh, that you must remain silent. Mm-hmm. Here, here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn and let someone interpret. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Yeah, so Scripture forbids what we just saw there, uh, heard there. I actually saw it, but you heard it. Um, Wow, what is going on? Why is the church just literally, you know, putting these clowns and buffoons up in front of them rather than men who are exegetes, who studied and showed themselves approved, and can rightly handle the word of truth and proclaim Christ and Him crucified, teach what's in accord with sound doctrine, rebuke those who contradict it. I mean, these are folks that have a form of godliness but truly deny the power of it, and they don't want to hear what the Scriptures say. Nope, they have um, wandered off into myths and uh, do not endure sound doctrine. And the men they've surrounded themselves with, they're total clowns. That's the best way I could put it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, we're going to hear a sermon from Mark Batterson. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Let's do this right. Hey, ho! Look at the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via National Community Church out there in the Washington, D.C. area. Mark Batterson, author of The Circle Maker, will be preaching a sermon titled The Conquest, The Keys to Claiming God's Promises. What are those keys? Well, we're going to find out. All I know is that uh, I don't think that they represent a sound reading of any biblical text. 
and the application is sketchy at best, is the best way I could put it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Mark Batterson in his sermon titled, The Conquest. Here we go. A few months ago, my roommate from college, Brad Rosenberg, sent me a t-shirt. I'm wearing it. And you have no idea what uh, Horton Ground is, do you? Or the picture on the t-shirt or perhaps even the CBC. Would you like to know? Well, that's where I spent two years of college in a dorm named after a theologian, Stanley Horton, lived on the ground level, Horton Ground. And uh, went to a school that doesn't exist anymore called Central Bible College. Uh, Now, to you, this shirt really doesn't mean much. You would not wear this shirt, would you? But it's significant to me because of the memories and the moments over two years. Now, one of them I think it's appropriate to share because uh, Daylight Savings Weekend. And by the way, for the love of pastors, spring forward. Uh, not our favorite weekend. Got to preach to people who are working on a, an hour less sleep, but I know that all of our campuses are locked and loaded this weekend. So uh, one night, uh, we sneak into my uh, sweet mate's room, and, uh, you know, college is about pranks, right? And so uh, here's the thing you need to know about CBC. Pretty tight curfew, okay? Uh, doors locked at midnight until 6 a.m. You're not getting in or out unless it's through our window on Horton Ground. Um, so uh, we decide, hey, you know, and this is pre-cell phones. Like, let's just do the, the alarm clock caper. You know what this is, right? Uh, we decided to move his clock forward three hours. And so he gets up, showers, gets ready, goes to breakfast, and he's wondering why the cafeteria isn't open at 6 a.m., why everybody else overslept. It's because it was 3 a.m. And then it was pretty awesome because the door was locked. He couldn't get back in. Some fun memories, but... uh, I'll tell you what, some uh, pretty powerful memories too. That's where uh, in a prayer room, I remember pleading with God to heal my knee. Because two years before, I'd torn ACL on one of my knees. And here we are two weeks before the national tournament. Uh, I'm having best season of my career. Uh, I think we got a shot at winning the national championship. And listen, I better say this, NCCAA, okay? Uh, Extra C's for Christian. I was a first-team All-American, but that's not nearly as impressive, is it, with the NCCC? Sometimes I just leave that part out. And so I'm in the prayer room in our dorm, and I'm pleading with God, not again. I don't want to go through this again. It's a tough surgery. It's a tough rehab. And, and the dream was to at least have a crack at the national champ. But that's how my basketball career ended. The Lord didn't answer that prayer the way that I wanted him to. And you know what? I tucked it into my Deuteronomy 29.29 file, and I still don't totally understand it, to be honest. 
But I, I've had few moments where I've prayed with that kind of intensity and where I felt God's nearness in that way. What, what I'm getting at is this. Horton ground is holy ground to me. And you probably have some places like that as well, I'm guessing. And the Bible is full of them. And we're going to look at one of them. Now we're in a series called Long Story Short. Uh, we're looking at 13 inciting incidents from Genesis to Revelation. We've talked about uh, the creation, the promise, uh, the exodus, the covenant. And this weekend, we come to the conquest. There are a lot of ways to read the Bible, to study the Bible. One of them is as biography. Uh, you've got Abraham, you've got Moses, you've got David, you've got, you can study the Bible through these people that God used in a profound way. But I also believe you can read the Bible uh, through the lens of geography. And it's an interesting way to do it because spirituality and geography are not unrelated. In fact, I think every geography has a genealogy. Let me have a little bit of fun with this and then uh, uh, we'll jump into scripture. Uh, On June 5th, 1663, a farmer named Francis Pope acquired a 400-acre tract of land that included Jenkins Hill. Uh, Francis Pope, not to be confused with Pope Francis, named it Rome. Some thought it was a playful pun given his last name, but Pope believed it was a prophetic name. According to the standard history of the city of Washington from a study of the original sources published in 1914 by William Tyndall, Pope had a dream that one day a splendid parliament house would be built on the hill now known as Capitol Hill. It's pretty amazing considering the fact that it was the middle of the middle of nowhere in 1663. And now his pasture land is the capital of the free world and the epicenter of democracy. 130 years later, President George Washington would lead a parade to Jenkins Hill. Uh, Music playing, drums beating, colors flying, spectators celebrating as the cornerstone of the Capitol was laid on September 18, 1793, consecrated uh, in Mason tradition with corn, wine, and oil. And uh, I kind of like this. So note, we've started off with a biographical story from the life of Mark Batterson. And now he's made the claim that you can read the Bible geographically, and that will determine the theology. And granted, there's some important geographical places in the Bible. I'm not saying that there's not. But in order to make his point, he's now reading something from the history of of the American continent. And, okay. This little piece of history, the festivities ended with a 500-pound ox being butchered, setting precedent for one of America's most sacred rituals, the barbecue. Now, I, I don't have time, but uh, 225 years of storied history. If those walls could talk. And I love history. So, you know, I mean, there's so many layers. There's such a genealogy to, to this place that we call the capital. May 25, 1844. Did you know Samuel Moore sent his first long distance uh, uh, message, uh, telegraph? What hath God wrought? 
uh, from the Capitol building. There's a little plaque in there uh, if you go tour it. Um, listen, that's where March 3, 1865, Abraham Lincoln is in the president's room and he learns about the South's uh, desire to surrender. The next day, he delivers his second inaugural address with malice toward none, with charity for all from the East Portico. And six weeks later, our 16th president is laid in state in the Capitol Rotunda, the victim of John Wilkes Booth's 44 caliber bullet. December 8, 1941, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, gets up and rallies a grief-stricken nation the day after a date which will live in infamy, Pearl Harbor. And then you've got May 25, 1961, when John F. Kennedy uh, challenges us to land a man on the moon and return him safely to the earth by the end of the decade. Layer after layer after layer after layer of history in our short History is a country. Every geography has a genealogy. And if you don't know the geography of the Bible, and it seems like we don't put maps in the back anymore. And by the way, if you can, I really encourage a visit to the Holy Land. But you're not going to grasp the full significance of what God pulls off with this conquest. If you don't understand a little bit the geography. We're going to look at one place. It's called Gilgal. And it's one of the most significant places in scripture. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Joshua and we'll get there in a minute. Promise. This is going to be a long introduction, but then a quick message. Okay. Week one, I said that God is bigger than big and closer than close. You don't need to go anywhere to find God. God is present. What's absent is awareness. God is here, there, and everywhere. You don't have to take a pilgrimage to the Western Wall and and put a prayer in the slat. Now that said, pilgrimage was an integral part of Judaism. There were three pilgrimage feasts when Jews from all over the ancient world would travel to Jerusalem and I love Psalm 84, 5. Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Honestly, I think the value of pilgrimage probably comes back to a little formula that um, you could quote as easily as I could at this point. Change of pace plus change of place equals change of perspective. And so the Jewish people built a temple. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Now, this sounds, I mean, so educated. I mean, just so... It's just just chock full of facts and history and stuff like that. But the problem is, which text is he exegeting again? It's supposedly in Joshua. Hmm. Why didn't you read the text out first and then go back and work your way through the text so we can rightly understand what God has revealed in that text? It had a holy of holies. And God would manifest his presence uh, between the wings of the cherubim at a place called the mercy seat, which was a gold lid on top of the Ark of the Covenant. But the Bible also says that God does not live in temples built by human hands. You studied the history of religion. You know that what set Judaism apart was its monotheism. 
the Shema is the centerpiece. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Fast forward in the Nicene Creed, it says we believe in one God, three persons, but one God. Not seem so basic to us. We just take it. Yeah, no, actually it doesn't because so many seeker-driven pastors don't teach any doctrine substantively at all. Uh, You ask the average seeker-sensual church attender, uh, could you please quote for me the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed? And they're going to look at you like, what? What's that? At face value. But this was a dramatic departure 3,500 years ago. This is so simple yet so radical. In 1500 BC, the dominant belief was that uh, not in one God with a capital G, it was lots of gods, lowercase g, and those gods were geographical or territorial. There were Egyptian gods and Babylonian gods, Canaanite gods. And the prevailing opinion was that those gods were powerless outside their jurisdiction. And this is huge if you want to understand the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. Uh, Elijah's showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. Uh, It's 851 to 1 odds, and it's an away game. What I mean by that is this. Mount Carmel was a pagan high place. So it's almost like Elijah is saying, uh, let me beat you at your game at your stadium. And then he trash talks too. The significance of that miracle is this. God was proving his power beyond what were thought to be his boundaries. And if you go back a little more than that, he was actually proving that those other gods don't exist. This is what the 10 signs and the 10 wonders in Egypt are all about. God reveals his power, his authority in a place that was considered to be ruled by Egyptian gods. Now, let me rewind just a little bit. In Exodus 33, the Israelites are camped around Mount Sinai and Moses prays an amazing prayer. He says, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Yeah, that had something to do, the the reason why there was even a possibility that God's presence wouldn't go with them, had something to do with that golden calf. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, again, this is a radical request. This is a radical statement. Moses is professing his faith in a God who goes with us. In a God who goes before us. In a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. And then God makes this radical promise. He says, my presence will go with you. It's our benediction right at the end of a lot of services. When we leave this place, we don't leave the presence of God. The presence of God goes with us wherever we go. Now, let me get where this is going. The Jewish rabbis used to debate 
why God would appear to Moses in a burning bush. Why not pyramid? Okay, uh, so are we going to go into the Mishnah at this point? Will the Mishnah help us understand the text you're exegeting, which is what again? Why not the palace? Why not show up in some kind of show of power? But here we are on the backside of the desert in the middle of nowhere. And God shows up in a burning bush. And the consensus in rabbinic tradition is that God showed up in a burning bush on the backside of the desert to show that no place was devoid of his presence. And they gave him a name. And I love this name. Are you ready for this? They called him the place. Mm, yeah, okay. Which Talmud would I find that in at this point? I mean, you might as well be preaching from the Quran. I, what are you doing? Which which text in Joshua am I supposed to be at? You said go to Joshua. I'm waiting for the chapter here. Ha! God's everywhere you want to go. He was there before you. He's coming after you. There are no boundaries to his greatness. We sing that. God is bigger than big and closer than close. And with that as a backdrop, it's the only way to appreciate what's happening in Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 1, we'll put it on the screen. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give to them. I can't read this verse without having a flashback to an August morning in 1996. I was a rookie pastor. Had no idea what I was doing. We were about August, probably about 15, 20 people. So will this story from your life, uh, your rookie year as a pastor, help us to rightly understand Joshua chapter 1? On a good Sunday, because our students were gone. And I'm doing devotions, and I just happen to be in the book of Joshua. And I read verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot. 
something happens in my spirit. Promise jumps off the page into my spirit. And I feel this prompting to, let's just act on it. Because at that point, I thought this is one church with one multi-site. So this was a promise to you. So did you put your sneakers on or did you put sandals on? Wasn't even in the equation. One site would be great. And I feel this prompting to pray a perimeter around Capitol Hill. And it was hot and it was humid. But uh, 4.7 miles and a couple hours later, because I I stopped and prayed at different places. I had prayed a circle around Capitol Hill. One of his very first circle maker prayers. Um, I'll be honest, it wasn't with the intent of property. I never thought we'd even own property. I was just staking claim to an area that I knew God had called us to, to share the good news of the gospel. I'd like to hear that good news. Could you preach it right now? And there have been a few people that have pushed back a little bit, said, Mark, this promise was for Joshua, not for you. That is correct. They were helping you understand proper exegesis and good hermeneutics. And that's when I pushed back a little bit. Promise wasn't for Joshua. It's for Moses. Read it. And you are absolutely wrong here. Check your cross-references. Deuteronomy chapter 11 makes it clear that this was a promise not given to Moses, as if somehow it was his personal promise. No, Deuteronomy chapter 11, specifically verse 24, shows that this was a promise given to all of Israel. Let me read a little bit from the context. Deuteronomy chapter 11, I'll start at verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This passage, by the way, makes it very clear that fathers are to be instructing their children in the Christian faith. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord, sw- the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all of his ways, holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all of these nations before you and will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all of the land that you shall tread as he promised you. Y'all. Uh-huh. So, no, uh, Mark, you're wrong. That was not a promise given specifically to Moses. And uh, you don't know your Bible, and that's your problem here. Um, just do some cross reference. I would recommend a good study Bible. might 
help you to be able to pay attention to the cross references and uh, and of course reading it always helps too and reading it in context and familiarizing yourself with the history but you know, as a pastor you should be exegeting your way through these passages anyway which always serves as a great way to actually teach you what the texts say so watch where he goes next. So he thought he was being clever, you know. <laughs> hey, that was a promise not that wasn't given to, you know, to Joshua. That was originally given to Moses. So he's not paid attention is totally oblivious to uh, Deuteronomy 11:24. And uh, now he's going to just, you know, really stick his foot in his mouth. And just as God transferred it from Moses to Joshua. I happen to believe that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Uh-huh, right, yeah. So all the promises are yes in Christ. So God transferred this promise from Moses to Joshua. No, he didn't. That was a promise made to all of Israel. Yeah, uh-huh. So uh, now we're, we're really getting into the theological weeds, and this is a result of not studying, showing yourself approved carefully, Rightly handling God's word. He's not doing that. Not even close. You know what? Uh, you have to stake claim to the promises of God. And one of the ways that we do that is through prayer. You know, yeah, you got to stake claim to the promises of God, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's not. Again, what text are you exegeting? No, the promised land was God's gift to the Israelites, but. It came with giants. What makes us think that it's going to be any different for us? That it's going to be any easier? It's not going to be any easier. What promised land are, do you think we've been promised? Because Hebrews 11 actually makes it very clear what the promised land is and what it isn't. Hebrews 11, 8 by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac. Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That would be the new Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Uh, verse 13 then says, All these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. <laughs> Yeah, so what promised land do you think we are su supposed to be looking forward to? You know, some amazing dream destiny in our life or something like that? That's not what the promised land is for Christians. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. Easier because God doesn't want it to be any less awesome when he puts his power on display. All right, now let me fast forward. I'm going to try to get us to Gilgal. But I can't get there until I share three quick lessons with you on the way, okay? And I want you to write these down. Now, we're studying history, biblical history. But what's beautiful about the Bible is that every story is a microcosm. And God's word is living and active. So what happens is you find yourself in the story. And so these principles, these lessons that we learn in these stories, 
they still work. Circumstances totally different. A couple thousand years later, his word's still living and active. And the principles that we see in the Bible are still the ones that I try to live my life. Why? Why? Because they work. Why do they work? Because they're true. And so here we go. First, you try to live your life by principles. Follow the ark. What? So principle number one, follow the ark. And what would that be? God gives specific instructions. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. Since you have never... So you think that because the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 1 were told that when they see the ark, that they're, they're supposed to... <laughs> they're supposed to you know, follow it. That, that means that the application, the principle for us is that we need to follow the ark. Oh, man. This is so bad. I've been this way before. Follow the ark. Um, I had one of the worst driving experiences of my life in, in 20 plus years of living in this city. So how does one follow the ark? We don't even know where it is. They've even made a movie, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They didn't even find, you know, they didn't even find a real one, you know. Uh, on Thursday. I, you know, I don't, I don't commute because I, I live on the hill, but... I happened to be out in Virginia and I was coming back into the city and, and right around rush hour. And listen, I trust GPS. I'm thinking it's my arc, right? Follow the arc. And, and, uh, and I must have just hit it just after the time because I'm on the road and I get off on Independence to go west to get home. And sure enough, they shut her down and it's only eastbound. Head it out, and all I can do is turn on. And I can't get off the Rock Creek Parkway. <laughs> I call Laura just to talk me down, baby. Talk me down right now. And a trip that should have taken 25 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes later, I get home. It was not fun. That re- I don't even know that really has anything to do with this. I just need to get it off my chest. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, don't try to get ahead of God. Now, follow the ark. Yeah, um, how do I follow the ark, and what exactly does it mean to get ahead of God? Don't get ahead of it. And don't think that you know some shortcut. That God hasn't thought of. I have no idea what you're talking about. A shortcut to where? I live in North Dakota. It's flat. And I can pretty much get anywhere in town like within 10 minutes. There's no shortcuts. Follow his leading. And that means an intimate relationship. With the Lord Jesus Christ, following him, but also it means keeping in step with the spirit. Listen, the ark represents the presence of God. And so it makes me think of Moses. If if your presence doesn't go with us, uh, I don't want to go. And here's. And where has God promised to be for us with his presence? Here's the bottom line. I, I believe this more and more. 
that the presence of God is the solution to your problem. All right, so uh, fine. The presence of God is a solution. Where has Christ promised that he would be present for us? Two or more gathered in his name, he is present, right? Hmm, think about that. Maybe the Lord's Supper. Think about that. Now, come on. Um, You know me well enough to, to know. Get counseling. You need counseling. Everybody needs counseling. I need counseling. But you you better also get into the presence of God. Sometimes that's in an altar where you just kneel and surrender and pray. I'll tell you, the fastest way to get in the presence of God is to get into the word of God. I'll tell you, worship. Oh, man. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And so when we begin to worship him, his presence begins to manifest itself. And now we're following the ark. Number two, consecrate yourself. I could preach on this uh, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Uh, This was my verse of the year last year and my, my word of the year. So the the principles of Joshua 1 are follow the ark, consecrate myself. So we avoid like actual commandments and then we try to figure out principles that we can. I think principles are a poor substitute for actual commandments. Yourselves for tomorrow, uh, God will do amazing things uh, among you. Uh, Let me just keep it short. We want to do something amazing for God. But that's not our job. That's his job. God does amazing things for us. Our job is to consecrate ourselves. And if we con- and, and how do I do that? Consecrate ourselves. If we do our job, God is going to do his job. So it's my job to consecrate myself because in Joshua chapter 1, the children of Israel were told to consecrate themselves. And I, I have to live by that principle. Right. Okay. What's consecration? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not going to church. It's not daily devotions. It's not fasting during Lent. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not tithing. It's not going on a mission trip, serving in a ministry, or leading a small group. Yeah, that, that's helpful. Can you tell me what it is? All of those are good things. Sure, yeah. So how do I... Obey this principle of consecration. Let's do those things. But consecration isn't a habit thing. It's a heart thing. You know, that, that's great. Um, which biblical texts actually explain that consecration is a heart thing that I need to do because I need to obey this principle that you've discovered in Joshua chapter 1? It's it's not behavior modification. It's a heart that's fully surrendered to God. Right. Uh, Which of you can claim that your heart is fully surrendered to God? Yeah. No sinning then, you know, because once you sin, that shows you're not fully surrendered. Tell you what it is. It's getting up out of the throne of your own life. Say, I just can't sit here any longer. And relinquishing that throne 
to Jesus Christ. Sounds so pious. And you sure this is a principle I have to obey because you discovered it in Joshua 1? It's like you're making up your own definition of consecration to try to make yourself look pious and sound holy and smart and stuff. It's surrendering all of you to all of him. It's recognizing that it's all from him and it's all for him anyways. First Timothy 4, 5 says that we're consecrated by prayer and by the word of God. So let's start there and see what God does. Three, step into the river. In Joshua 3, 8. So I need to obey the principle of stepping into the river because they stepped in the river. They followed the ark and they consecrated themselves. First Timothy 4, 5. Um, here's what I'll, we'll just read it in context, starting in verse one. Now, the spirit expressly says, this is first Timothy four, one, that in the latter time, some will depart from the the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Yeah, I think that might fit actual Mark Batterson. Um, cause he's not actually teaching anything biblical here. You know, apparently he's discovered principles that we need to obey. So they forbid marriage, require abstinence from certain foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Yeah, First Timothy 4, 5 doesn't teach me that important thing of I consecrate myself through prayer. This is so bad. God says, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go stand in the river. Strange command, right? Right, yeah. So, and I need to obey this principle myself, and I need to go stand in the river. Right. Is Chris Farley down there, you know, down by the river? Why would you do that? Because your feet are going to get wet. I don't want to get my shoes wet. It'd be much easier if God would just part the water first, then I'll step in. That's just not the sequence of faith in the Bible. I, I see. So I have to step into the river because that's a principle, because there's a sequence to faith. I have to get my feet wet first, and then God will part the river. You, you do realize that God parted the Red Sea without the children of Israel actually stepping into the Red Sea, right? Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step and then trusting him for the outcome. And so they step into the river. Then and only then does God part the waters. And they do something interesting, by the way. As they cross the Jordan, they take 12 large stones. So I need to pick up 12 large stones too then, right? And they carry them with them. And they set up an altar at a place called Gilgal. So how come going down, stepping into the river is a principle, but um, setting up an altar isn't? Or maybe it is, I don't know. And we're finally there. <laughs> Joshua 5, 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today... I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal 
to this day. It took one day for God to get Israel out of Egypt. So you, you, you basically went from Joshua 1.1 1, 1 to Joshua 5 without actually reading any of the text in context. Wow, that's amazingly bad. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And this is where God does it. And this is so beautiful. He rolls away their reproach. Finally, the past is in the past. It's the place where old wounds are healed. It's the place where we finally find. Notice he's really trying hard to sound profound. But he's not exegeting any text. He's not actually teaching anything that's even remotely close to a Christian or biblical doctrine. Wow. A measure of freedom from our shame. So many things happen at Gilgal. The Israelites celebrate their first Passover in the promised land at Gilgal. All of the men are circumcised at Gilgal. This is where the manna from heaven stops, okay? And they start eating the produce of the promised land. And this is where Joshua has an encounter with the commander of the army of the Lord and takes off his sandals because it's holy ground. But there's one more thing. And this is what I want to close with. They take these 12 stones and they build an altar. Why? Joshua 4, 5, 4, 6 tells us why. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off from before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. These stones are to be a memorial. Come on, not, not unlike the Lincoln, right? Or the Jeff- or the Washington, or memorial. So that you don't forget What God has done, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Let me fast forward 97 years. Israel has conquered the land and they've entered an era of history where there are judges. There's one judge named Ehud, left-handed for what it's worth, the Bible tells us. And there's a story that is so not politically correct. I'll give you the short version. Um, Ehud says, I, I got to. Of course you will. You're, you've got too much to do. You're too busy to actually exegete any biblical story in context. We, we actually learn nothing about the children of Israel on the border of the promised land and initially going in because you didn't actually read any text. Secret to tell you. Oldest trick in the book right there, right? He's got a dagger hidden, and uh, the Bible, I wouldn't say this, but since the Bible says it, I better. Um, King was fat, and so when the dagger goes in, it disappears under the folds of fat. Like, it's just this bizarre description, and, and so no one's in there. Basically, he takes him into the bathroom stall, locks the door. He sneaks out the window, out the sewer, and, and escapes. Um, and... Uh, there's this awkward moment where the servants are outside, like, 
How much longer do we wait? You know, that moment where you're wondering, is it one or two right now? (laughs) But I'm guessing the king spent a lot of time in the bathroom. And so they're just waiting. Uh, Long story short, uh, Ehud escapes. Now, what would lead him to do something like that? I know that's kind of gruesome. But he was reclaiming uh, the land that they had been promised. It had been taken by Eglon and his people. And so... Uh, long story short, here's the backstory. And I never noticed this before, but Ehud had, uh, actually gone to pay tribute to Eglon. And this is humbling. This is embarrassing. This is supposed to be our land. Now I got to go pay taxes to you. And so I'm guessing that he's walking away totally defeated tail between his legs But Judges 3.19 says, when Ehud reached the stone images near Gilgal, he turned back. Now, why, why then and why there? Some translations actually say stone idols. I think that's a poor translation. It literally means sculptured stones. I think these are the very stones that the Israelites set up as an altar to God 97 years before. And I would suggest that they built it for Ehud, because there would be a moment when someone would need to be reminded that they had given up on the promise that had been given to their forefathers. And something happens when he sees that altar. Something gets riled up in his spirit. Something stirs his spirit. And he goes back. He kills the king. And Israel experiences 80 years of peace as a result. I don't think it happens if Joshua doesn't have the foresight to build the altar. Without the altar, without that reminder, I don't think this happens. What are we doing that's going to make a difference 97 years from now? What altars are we building? What? God told them to take the stones out of the river. This is so bad. So notice, no actual preaching of any commandments that you and I may have actually fallen short of. So we're not actually hearing God's law. It's totally made up law by applying and finding and obeying principles in the text. And the best way I could describe it is principles are in the eyes of the beholder, you know. And so now we could just make up our own history, our own reasons, and find our own applications using principles, and people to sit there and go, oh, man, I'm going to go home and think about what altars, man, uh, do I need to build for the future generations and stuff? Yeah, wow, that's amazing. And they've learned nothing about actual sanctification, holiness, obedience to God. Um, the fact that they don't obey God's command and are in need of a Savior and how Christ has bled and died for the forgiveness of our sins, which is an actual breaking of a commandment. You know, God's actual revealed will on how we're to live our lives. Yeah, that's totally out the window. And they leave going, oh, I'm so holy, man, because I'm thinking about the altar that I need to build, to have the foresight to build for the future generation. Whoa, totally just blew my mind there, man. For our children and grandchildren, for those who come behind us that will trigger their faith. I say this all the time. We think that what God does for us is for us. It's never just for us. 
we think right here, right now, God is thinking nations and generations. And so we better build some altars for Ehud. Right, yeah. Who, who's your Ehud? You may never meet him, but you better build some altars for him. For the people we don't even know. Now, I know it seems like a little bit of a stretch, but here's the bottom line. Everything God did for Abraham, he did for you. All of those promises belong to you. Why? Because we were grafted into Abraham through Jesus Christ. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. You know, I'll never forget something that Stanley Tam said to me, um, now over 100 years old, founder of the United States Plastic Corporation, giving more than $120 million to kingdom causes. Wonderful man of God. He said over dinner, God can't reward Abraham yet because his seed is still multiplying. And that's true for you too. I'll tell you what, I, I am so out of time. But I'll- So you've lost the ability now time-wise to even begin to exegete an actual text in context. Yeah, see, I told you, he's way too busy to be a pastor at this point, clearly. I want you to know that every battle we fight, we fight for others. Every victory we win, we win for others. And so let me finish with a very short story. Zach Jury attended National Community Church for... Uh, Not from Scripture. He doesn't have enough time to actually read a biblical text, but he's going to tell the story of Zach, apparently. Okay, he's got plenty of time for that. 18 months when he worked at FBI headquarters. He's what you would think of when you think of an FBI agent. Tough guy, smart guy, but all of us have a soft soft spot, and sometimes that's where God meets us, right? So uh, it was about a year ago, Zach um, emails me and, and uh, said I could share it. He says, I never really understood uh, or really accepted that God loves me for me as me. He said that changed the day I stood at the end of an NCC service at the Lincoln Theater, Road J, seat 111. That's where I heard the still small voice say over and over again, I love you. 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 You you heard a still small voice say that. Well, Scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Or God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, I don't need a still small voice. The, the, the very loud voice of the written word of God tells me that God loves me, and it's all grounded in Christ's incarnation, death, and resurrection. So, just saying, you know. He said he must have whispered those words to me at least a hundred times. And with tears pouring down my face, I experienced his love in the most visceral way I ever have. The Lincoln Theater is a profoundly special place to me. It will forever be the place where I heard, really heard, and believed that the Lord loves me. Roji J, seat 111. That's Zach Jury's Gilgal. And I believe that for you this weekend.
Uh, right. Yeah. So I, I, you know, what if I don't have a Gilgal? Am I, am I less of a Christian? Come on. This is your day. This is your place. It's why you're here this weekend. Uh, <sighs> this is where God rolls away the reproach. This is where your heart is circumcised to him. This is where the Passover happens. Actually, uh, my heart circumcised, that occurs in baptism. Read Colossians 2. And Christ, our Passover lamb, was slain. Yeah, this, the Passover points to Jesus, the Passover lamb, yeah, whose blood you know on us keeps the destroyer from sending us to hell. Yeah, you might want to... Note how the typology revol- resolves in Jesus. And this is where you build an altar to God. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's pray. Done. Wow. That was just creepily awful and terribly bad and exegetically nonsensical. It... Yeah, see, this is what happens when you don't actually read a text and exegete it correctly. And, you know, you, and then you turn events in a historical narrative, which is a descriptive text, into prescriptions via biblical principles that supposedly we need to apply. So, you know, if you're not out there, you know, um, <laughs> stepping into your river and following the ark and consecrating yourself and building your altar and stuff. Oh wow, yeah, you you you're just not really a spiritual Christian, man. You you're out of the program. I would basically say that was utterly meaningless. Those were totally empty words. There was no actual biblical truth to, you know, that you can really actually understand, believe and apply to your life. That was utterly worthless. That's why scripture describes the false teachers as waterless rain clouds. There he was, a rain cloud passing over our heads, and we didn't even get wet. Yep, that's what that was. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you, and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is by death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.